opportunity to come and share. But what I'm going to do is, as a whole, I mean, we kind of do it just, we're going to do it just like we do the teens, okay? Uh, that way everybody's ready to go. We don't, you know, want folks, I, I guess we got a whole front row that's available. If, if say, say you, you can't stand up a long time or something, you still want to come give a testimony, you want to be included, you could have a seat right there on that front row for a few moments. We'll get you up and then get you back to your seat. But uh, I, would like, I would like those that want to give testimony about the tent meeting, uh, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to, to kind of line up over here and maybe even kind of go back this way. I, I don't, starting here and then work back that. I don't want it going down the aisle of the church necessarily, and then you have to talk to your buddies as you're coming up and stuff like that and kick those things like the teens do. And, you know, <clears throat> you know how the teens do, right, teenagers? You know, you're smiling. You know what I'm talking about. That's right. I know. But anyway, we want you to feel a part of it. Now, I, I don't know how many there'll be. If there's a hundred of you, we may have a problem. But, uh, you know, like I say, we'll see where it goes. I wonder, uh, again, uh, we had a great week. And uh, it's kind of, we always, I'd say it's like adult camp. Well, we're going to go ahead and give a few testimonies. Now, I kind of have a set mind, time in my mind, okay? Now, if the Holy Spirit would show up and we'd break out and, you know, jubilee or something, we might continue that way. That'd be fine. But uh, unless something drastic would happen, the Lord would certainly show up in a testimony or something. Uh, we're planning on doing some preaching tonight, you know what I'm saying? So I do want to do that. So um, I'm, I'm not planning on preaching as long. I've got a, a shorter message. It's only three pages. It's not five like normal. Uh, and that's no joke. I'm not joking, okay? So, you're, you're, you know, we're doing good. I'll right, cut her back. But uh, let's go ahead and take a few moments. I, I'm, I'm excited about hearing some of these testimonies. I want to hear what God did in your life. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. So if you're interested, let's just see how it works. It may not work real well or not. It may be a total confusion here. But if you're interested and would like to give a testimony, would you, Caleb, would you stand up for a second? Stand right there in front of that and then face that way. I want you to line up starting right on Caleb and start going that way. Go ahead. If you're interested in giving a testimony. You say that's crazy. I do this in football camp. I, I, well, it's not too bad. We got two guys that know what they're doing. <clears throat> that's pretty good. But what happens is people start lining up this way and lining up that way, and they're like, whoa. Yeah, come on up. That's right. If you, you want to give a testimony, come on up. <clears throat> we'll just line on up. We'll get right on lined up, and then we'll get the first one up here, the next one, the next one, the next one. Absolutely. Come on up if you're interested in giving a testimony. I knew Sandy would. I, I asked her earlier. I said, Sandy, now you're giving testimony because I, I kind of made fun of her in my, my adult Bible class uh, lesson this morning. We kind of joked around. I said, now, remember, Sandy, you can't preach a whole message. <clears throat> so she was a little hesitant coming up, but I wanted to hear what God's done in her life. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, if for some reason you want to give a testimony, you haven't stood up yet, as these start to dwindle down, maybe you want to jump up here, okay? You can, while they're giving testimony, walk to the back and come right on around, okay? All right. Mr. Jurgen, why don't you step on up? Well, Mr. Jurgen, why don't we stay right down here? Okay. I, I don't want anyone to feel, and the reason I'm saying that is, he just wants all the glory, but, uh, <clears throat> but, <laughs> I, I, I put it down, listen, I put that down there for a reason, not because I don't want you up here in this pulpit. I put it down there so that anyone and everyone can make it there. If, for instance, uh, uh, Mrs. Allman may like to give a testimony. Well, I wouldn't want her to feel like she couldn't. And, and maybe one of you elderly folks that, that are, your legs are giving you trouble tonight couldn't make it up the steps as easily as Mr. Jurgen does. So that's why I did that. I, I didn't do that because I don't want you up here. Matter of fact, I'm coming down now to hear you. I thank God for the tent meeting. It meant a lot to me. When Earl Ankerman was here, the things that I had not surrendered to Jesus Christ, I did then when I got in the offering. But what Brother Hamlin does, 
as he puts the icing on the cake and makes sure that when you surrender, you know what you're doing and you have a purpose in mind. That's what the, the whole idea, I believe, between, between, uh, behind the tent revival is to allow us to make decisions for Christ with understanding about why and what we're doing. And uh, the second thing is, is that uh, I've known for quite a while that God has been dealing with my brother Bob about preaching. Uh, several years ago, he surrendered to preach. and went to Hiles Anderson. And because God didn't give him a job right away or a house to take his wife and kids over there right away, why he quit. But God dealt with him every year since then what God had and what he went and he would do something and God would remove it. And he had had to get a job, start making money, and God would remove it. And God finally got him to the place under sound biblical preaching where he would surrender and do what God did. So the tent meeting was a blessing to my family. Thursday night, uh, Dr. Hamlin preached on prayer. And most of you know here in the auditorium, most of you know that I will preach, that I will pray any place, any time at the drop of a hat. And uh, Thursday night as he was preaching, God had just impressed upon my heart to be a better man of prayer, to be a more dedicated man of prayer. And as I went to the altar, that's what I went to the altar for, to, to rededicate myself, to be a better man, to be a to be a better man of prayer. And then uh, he had Pastor O'Donnell stand on this side of the altar, and he had Pastor Herman stand on this side of the altar. And he said that if you would make a commitment to pray for your man of God, whether you're from Lighthouse or you're from community, if you would make that commitment to pray uh, for your pastor every day for the rest of the year, he wanted us to come up and gather around the pastor. And uh, I don't know who was behind me, uh, I'm not too sure who was in front of me, but uh, I thank God that the, past, the pastor allows me to be in the prayer cabinet. And it's an honor and it's a privilege to take my pastor, my friend, to the throne of grace every day. And not just him, but his wife and his family. And I count that a great honor that, that he would allow me to, to pray for him and his family. And, and, and so Thursday night was a great night for me. I wanted to say that um, I think it was Monday night, uh, both messages on Monday night just particularly uh, moved within me, uh, the pastor's uh, message on the devil has his Bible. And I thought, you know, because I never get weary of going out on Saturdays and seeing what the world believes. But you have family members and you have co-workers and friends who supposedly are Christians and you see the way they live and things like that. Sometimes you get a little uh, discouraged by you know, they just don't seem to want to want to walk the walk, you know. And it's because the Bible, ha- I mean, the devil has his own Bible, is, is reason behind they emphasize the wrong scriptures and or maybe even the wrong portions of scripture. And uh, then then when Brother Ham- Dr. Hamlin preached on the fact that the unity among believers and it was the things that cause us to break our unity and he included waste book. And I thought, you know, it was just two days earlier that my wife and I had had a conversation because my oldest daughter unfriended her own family. 
took, took my wife and just unfriended her. And through looking through the pages, she found out why she was unfriended. She was unfriended because of, one, the upcoming election, and two, for crying out loud, after this uh, Chick-fil-A. You know, just because, just uh, you know, when people just inerrantly see, you know, you're not even, not even attacking them in any way, they just know exactly where you stand by some comments made. Even your own family can uh, be offended by that. And I thought, you know, what? just what a great, uh, put, just put those two things together and clarify how the devil wants to disrupt, you know. I thank God for the revival. When I came, I thought about not even coming the first Sunday. When I came, I kept coming all week. It's just like I had my batteries charged. And I just wanted to keep coming. And Thursday, I went up, same thing, for the prayer back my pastor and pray for his family and him every day. Not only for him, but both of our assistant pastors. Because I know my pastor, he has, he has a handful every day. If it wasn't for the two assistant pastors helping him. I pray for, I go and pray for them also every day and their families that help him. And uh, I just thank God for the, for the revival that we had this week because it helped me also. Uh, I want to be out, I want to be out every time that these doors are open. I just thank God for it. Thank you. Well, Thursday night was a blessing to me. Uh, a year ago in my Bible, I have written down August sixteenth, two thousand eleven, and that's last year when Dr. Hamlin was here and. He preached on um, the woman in chapter 15 um, who came to Jesus, and she had a daughter who was vexed with spirits, and three times she, and the sermon was, what, when God, you don't feel God's answering your prayer when you don't feel he's near, and the end result was that she kept going back, and the first time the disciples said, get away, you're causing, you're crying after us too much. And the second time, Jesus ignored her totally. The third time, he ridiculed her and basically called her a dog, and that's what I remembered. And I have a dog on my Bible, and that is to remind me, yes, you know, sometimes I've been praying for so many years for something in particular. I'm sorry. It really broke my heart. And I'm, okay, God, I am a dog. I'm willing. I've read. I've fasted. I've prayed over the years. I've got counsel. And this one particular prayer is just not getting answered. And I said, God, if it's my fault, I'm willing to be broken. Abuse me. Use me. I'm a dog. I mean, I really, you know, but God, please, I want this prayer answered. And sometimes when you do that, it gets worse. <laughs> and so I basically, that was a year ago, and I just committed myself, Lord, it's, it's in your hands, and I'm, you're the one I'm going to face when I die. And, but it still with, was with some concern or fear, and it is fear versus faith. And then this year on Thursday night, again, he preached on prayer about God's heavenly handkerchief and and just about the fact, and preacher brought it up this morning. I've been crying since Thursday night. I can't stop crying. 
but it's nothing I can do. He doesn't need my help. But I have asked God, I need a miracle. I want a miracle. I believe you can give me a miracle, and it's not based on anything other than his goodness. And I want God to see that miracle so others will know. If he can do it for the carousel, I've bragged on this carousel every Saturday when we go out. Just people's face light up. We have a whole family, extended family, that Shireen and I talked with Saturday. They're ready to come. They wanted to know about the carousel. They're gathering people. They, they need another church. It was exciting. But if God can do that, he can do that for me. And it's just a different level of praying. And I truly have just begged God for that miracle. And I want it with a deeper. And what excites me is that Brother Hamlin doesn't know any of this. And that he comes to this town and he zaps me, just smacks me all up and down to get me to finally just give all. And what all means, I don't know, but the fear is gone. And that's why I'm crying. It's just a different level of rejoicing that I don't deserve it, but none of us do. But I do believe God can. And that's a wonderful step for me. Thank you. I'm definitely going first next time. <laughs> like standing up there. Um, mine, like Donna's, I think is a little personal. Um, on Tuesday night, um, Dr. Hamlin talked about um, the church being backslidden. And I'm not exactly sure what all the message was about, but at some point in there he was talking about prayer. And I told him after the service that that made me really angry. And I said that, you know, I got kind of excited because I thought, well, if I'm getting angry, then I'm convicted. And if I'm convicted, then if I'll just heed to the Holy Spirit, then something good's going to happen. Um, and so I sat there and I, I was somewhat wrestling with the Lord. Um, you know, there's been a lot of things where I've trusted God and I just try, I just continually try to just trust him. And um, I'm not sure if I do it right. I'm not sure maybe if I just, you know, just, I just sometimes don't have a lot of worry because I'll just trust him. And there's things that I can't change. And so I've done that. And then sometimes things don't happen. Even if you do trust him, they don't really happen maybe how you thought. And so I started to tell God that maybe he's not listening. You know, maybe, maybe I don't, I don't know how to move forward. Like, you know, everything, you know, things can come into your life, but how do I, how do I keep going? I started to doubt whether or not I should really keep trusting him with my future. Maybe, maybe I know what's best, you know, maybe I know better than God. And so I was wrestling with him about that. And I thought, Lord, you don't care. Obviously you're not caring right now. I don't know how to pray and believe. I don't know how to do that. And so I just kind of, I kind of just wrestled with him for a little bit. And everything that I told the Lord, he just shot right back at me, you know. And I said, well, I don't know where to start. And he said, well, just start by praying. And I thought, well, that's a novel idea. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and so, um, and then I just, I just continued to wrestle. And finally, he reminded me, and I think Brother Hamlin mentioned it, of a prayer list that was from this church from August 26, 2000, and I was away from the Lord at that time, and, um, you know, the church prayed for me, and it had my name on it, and Brother Bill Hill gave that to me probably 
I can't remember now. I tried to figure it out the other night, but a few years ago, just to remind me, he said, always remember that God answers prayers. Always remember. And right then I was like, duh. Look at where the Lord's brought me. Look at how far he's brought me. Look at what he's done in my life. And every blessing that I could think of just kept flooding my mind. And I couldn't wait to hit the altar that night and just thank him for everything. And so I just went ahead and I thanked him for everything. And I just decided to just trust him. And um, and there's just been a weight lifted, you know, that's kind of fallen off. And I just am so thankful for him and for his sovereign plan and for his watchful eye over my life and over my family. And I just decided that, you know, it's one thing to say that God has a plan for everything, but it's another thing to say that his plan is perfect and to fully accept that plan. And so that's just what it was for me. I talk a lot. I know, Pastor. I'll do better. <laughs> anyway, this week, though, this meeting this week has, was great, but I, mine was on prayer when he talked on prayer because I went through a lot and I, I needed prayer. And uh, our son is away from the Lord, and we've been praying for years, and I've tried to tell him and make him do things I want him to do, and I finally realized, Sandy, you can't do that. You've got to turn him over to God, and I finally did that. And uh, But when he preached on prayer and then had talked about us coming up, standing around him, Pastor, to me that was an honor to get to come up there and stand. I pray for our pastor and his family and our other pastors and things every day, but I have made it a point now. I mean, promise God that I'm going to pray more and more and more for our pastor. He's, he's going through a lot here. He's got a lot on his shoulders, and he needs our prayers. Not only did the, the, the preaching, the first year we came, they had that. It was just amazing because we had, was hunting for a church. And when you're out of church and you don't have a home church, half of your life is taken away. And we had been going to a couple of churches, but we didn't like them. And we came by here, and Lori was at the door. I didn't know it was Lori then, but I asked her, I said, is this an uh, independent fundamental? She said, yes, it is. I said, King James only. She said, yes, it is. And I said, well, we'll be back tonight. And we've been here ever since. The minute I walked through that door, I knew that's where God wanted us. And what put the icing on the cake <laughs> was when we had the revival. And I was sitting there and this music went to play. And I grabbed my husband and I said, oh, it's he will pilot me. And he said, no, it's not. I said, it is too. And it was. That's my favorite song. Now, the preaching was good, too, this week to me, but the music does something for me. I mean, it's like Brother Hammond said, music's what gets the preaching going. And whenever he called everybody back up again, now that night they sung, he will pilot me first time. When he called him back up and you sung it the second time, I was ready to shout. But, honey, when he said to sing it again, I was ready to climb a chair. <laughs> I was never so excited in all my life. Because one of these days I'm going out of this world and he's my pilot. He's my pilot and he's going to take me. And prayer is, is a wonderful thing because it's, it's helped me through a lot this past year. I have got a praying church here that I absolutely adore. And what I would have done without you all, I, I have no idea. 
I am so thankful that God has put this church and this church family in my life. Because let me tell you something, six months of not knowing what's going to happen and waiting and waiting and waiting is hard. I know there's more than me ever went through this, but when you have to go through it yourself, it's, it's another story. But I, when I first realized that there was something wrong and they told me I had cancer, me and Glenn was praying. And this is how prayer is, is why I can stand my prayer because while we were praying, I had this peace to come over me like nothing in this world. And from that moment on, I knew because I claimed Matthew 21, 21 and 22, when he's talking to the fig tree, where you ask believing, never doubting, he will heal you. And I'm cancer free, praise his name. And I never doubted. And I'm just so excited. Amen. And another thing, praying, uh, preaching the other night, Brother Herrera, Amen. please breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you had us a nervous wreck, you wasn't breathing. <laughs> we were telling Kathy that, his wife, and she said, I do the breathing. <laughs> But anyway, I just asked your prayers, and I'm just so thankful that I have this church. This church is awesome, and our Lord is awesome. Pastor, I love you. I think it was Thursday night. Uh, Dr. Hamlin preached on also ought. The, thing, the four things that Jesus said we ought to do. And I really, he really challenged me to want God's power more in my life. I, want, I don't want my power. I don't want to do it in myself. I want to do it in his power because I feel I can accomplish more if I have his power. And I know to have his power, I'm going to have to spend more time with him. And that's kind of a challenge when you work and you get up early already to spend time with him. And you come home and then you feel like you need to spend time with your husband and you do all the things that you know, working ladies, you guys know, that you do. But I've really been challenged um, to just spend more time with him and to get that power that I need. Yeah, it was a beautiful week. And I prayed, and I know many of us uh, uh, prayed for the weather. The Lord gave us beautiful weather for every night. Thank God he loves our church, and he wanted this tent revival to be perfect. And his spirit, God's spirit was there every night. And it was, oh, it was just so great. And I also... Um, I'm a prayer warrior, and I was, I forget what night it was, I was going around and, and many people were needing prayer, and I was praying with them. And um, when the service started, I didn't make it up the choir in time, so I had to stay back on the, by the seats. But I got to thinking, gee, it is so wonderful to be able to pray and know that the Lord is going to answer your prayers. The first thing is to trust, obey, and have faith. 
And God can do anything. Remember, he made this world. He made each one of us. He knew our lives before we were born. And he knew that we'd be here. And he knew that all of us would be there for the tent revival. And he had something for each one of us. And I just thank the Lord. And after the service one evening that I had gone up and prayed with a person, Brother Herman said to me, Bobby, why did she go up? And I said, she wanted to rededicate her life. And he said, and you know, and it, and I said to him, I says, you know, I've been waiting all week for the Lord to give me somebody to go to, because every year He's given me somebody to go to. A couple times it was clear on the other side of the tent. I'd go around and go on the other side of the tent and be with the person and pray with them. But then I got to thinking afterwards, after I said that to him, oh, that was a light bulb moment because I had prayed all week with a lot of people. And when the Lord tells you to pray for someone or the Lord is asking for prayer, don't wait. Don't tell him, I'll pray for you. Tell him you pray for him right then because then they know that you really care about what's going on with them and that you know they will have their prayer answered because you're going to tell them in your prayer, God will answer your prayer. Just trust and have faith and obey. Okay, thank you. Oh, oh and we love you, Pastor. <laughs> I didn't mean to put that on the tail end. I don't even need to think. <laughs> That's okay. I'll use it. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, I'm a nurse. I visit six different nursing homes and manage care for patients in our practice. And last week was undoubtedly the worst week that I could remember in ages. Uh, I go to some environments that are hostile. They don't want me there. And there were times that I just want to go back out to the car and cry. However, <laughs> one of the last things I say to a patient is, is there anything I can do for you? And this one little old lady said, fix my broken heart. Well, I can't do that. But I was able to tell her about someone who could. And at this particular, this was Wednesday. It's the home that's the worst one I go into. And I've never been known. The, the pastor who was my pastor when I got saved just told me I was full of holy boldness. And I just don't hold back. And we were talking, and for, I forget what the conversation was, and I just said, and that's why God gave man a reprobate mind. Well, at that point, revival broke out in that nursing home. <laughs> and it hasn't been hostile since. And I can't, I, I have every confidence it was Satan trying to hinder me, hurt me, stop me. But I don't stop. I keep sharing the word. I know scripture. I've been a good news club teacher. You learn scripture, you can quote it. And we had revival. They know I'm a Christian. People heard the word, and I came every night exhausted and tired, but was refreshed enough to go back the next day and, and not hold back. And for every one of you who go to nursing homes, for our, for our nursing home ministry, don't think that they don't listen. They hear, and... and if we could pick up more nursing homes and get the word out, these people aren't all confused and disoriented. They know, and a lot of them know that they don't know where they're going, and they are close to death. 
and it's important that we get out there and tell them. And I had a bad week, but more people heard about Jesus last week from me than any previous week. And for that, I'm thankful for the meeting. tell you what, that's great. I love those testimonies. Let's all stand. We'll do just a, a course of Jesus Loves Me, and then I'm going to share just a brief message with you. Let's sing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. And let's just do a verse of that. He does love us. And boy, last week was evident of it. Again, you were there, and uh, I was there, and we had a great time under the tent, at the blue and white tent, excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, it was really a great week. Let's sing that song, all right? Jesus Loves Me. Ready? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Smith. Let's take our Bibles tonight. We're not going to take a long time tonight. Just uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. I like testimonies. I don't know about you, but I like them. It's nice to hear things. I'll tell you, when I hear a testimony, it reminds me of a couple things. Uh, One, it reminds me of what it's like to pray with someone and to learn their heart. If you, if, you don't, if you feel like you're distanced from your husband or wife, you need to pray with them. If you'll pray with your husband and wife, it'll be like a testimony service. Every time you pray, you'll learn something about their heart. Okay, I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just the way life is. And it's amazing how you learn who people are and what they think and how they feel when they pray. <clears throat> I don't know what it is, but... They're not talking to you. They're talking to God, and they seem to be a little more honest and open. And you learn more about them as a person than you would if you were just talking. So if you feel distance from your husband or wife, you need to pray with them. And if you'll do that, you'll be amazed how you'll learn things that will help you to unlock doors in their life where you can make an impact and you can be a blessing to them. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 6. I like, the, I like those testimonies. That was good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Second Chronicles chapter 6, let's begin in verse 12. Notice what the Bible says here. <clears throat> and he stood before the ark of the, uh, the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and had set it in the midst of the court. And upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like thee in the heaven nor in the earth which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Thou which has kept with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him, and spakest with thy mouth, and hath fulfilled it with thine hand as it is in this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, <clears throat> keep with thy servant David my father that which, is, which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit upon the throne of Israel. 
Yet so that thy children take heed to their way to walk in my law as thou hast walked before me. Now then, O Lord God of Israel, let thy word be verified, which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? I'm reading way past my necessary verses. I'm going back, okay? I quit right there. I quit right there. I'm thinking, man, we're getting into this thing. I don't think I need all that. Okay, it says right here, Second Chronicles 6, 12 through 15. I just gave you a few extra. Enjoy those. I hope so. All right, so there you go. <clears throat> I got into it. I was testifying there. But anyway, Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. So let me end real quick here again with verse 15. I don't even want to read verse 15. That's not an easy one. Look at how that reads. Really, look at verse 15 once. Look how tough that verse is. Thou which hast kept with thy servant David my father that which thou hast promised him, and spakest with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, and it is in this day, as it is this day. That's a a mouthful. Anyway, I don't have a clue what it said, but we're going to look at the first couple verses probably more anyway. So anyway, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. Solomon is dedicating the temple. Is what's going on. He is, remember, if you re- recall correctly, this temple was conceived in the mind of God. It was committed to his father David and it was completed by Solomon. Again, God's the one that wanted a temple. He wanted a house and he put it on David's heart. David felt like God would have him build that temple, remember? But God ultimately said, You're a man of blood. You're a bloody man because you're a man of war. No, I'll have your son build the temple. So God conceived this thing, this temple. And then he committed it to David. And then he completed it with Solomon. And so now he furnishes the temple and he assembles the leaders together. Over in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we read, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments, put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. After he assembles them all, after he begins to furnish this temple, a great feast and sacrifice were prepared for the ark. As it's making its way now to this new temple, this newly built temple, I should say, there's a feast and a sacrifice that's made. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 6. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. So now the ark is put in its place. And now the music begins. David, of course, had over 200 employed musicians and they began to lift up their voice and the orchestra began to play and God automatically shows up. In 2 Chronicles 5.13, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praising the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. That cloud was the very presence of God Himself. He was in the thick darkness, the Bible tells us. And so the Lord shows up and His presence is literally overwhelming. When Jesus Christ showed up in that service, when that cloud made its way into that place, all of a sudden, everything ceased at that point in Second Chronicles 5.14, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. 
It was just a few years back at football camp. As a matter of fact, one of the preachers got up to preach and he started talking about loving God. Loving God and, and the love of God and you need to love God. You need to love God. He must have said that 500 times. Seven minutes into his message. Seven minutes. People started walking the aisles. Seven minutes. All of a sudden the preacher sat down as the whole place erupted in Holy Spirit prayer. And people left the auditorium and went into secret places outside and prayed and begged God. They wanted to love God. Why? The Holy Spirit had showed up. There was no place for ministering anymore. God was doing the ministering. Solomon begins speaking. Now he begins to share and and, and, and soon we arrive at our text here. And then we arrive. And I want you to notice a couple of things. Note that Solomon had made a brazen scaffold. In chapter 6 of our text, we notice here, verse 12, And he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and set it in the midst of the court. And upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. This brazen scaffold is nothing more than a platform that was constructed for the king. There he stood upon that platform five cubits long. Now we can debate the distance of a cubit. Many have said it's 18 inches. The Israel cubit is the one that was used in Israel was 18 inches. Others have said there's been a cubit that was 22 inches long. There's somewhat of a debate sometimes on the distance of the cubit, depending on what time in history and also maybe what nationality or what group was uh, expressing that distance. But let's just go ahead and round it in the middle somewhere. And what we can say basically is that five cubits is approximately eight feet. It's approximately eight feet. And we, we find that if, if it was 18 inches, it would be seven and a half. If it was 22 inches, it would be like 8.5 inches, uh, 8 feet 5 inches. So let's just, just put it right in the middle. It was about 8 feet. So it's 8 feet long, it's 8 feet wide, and it's 5 feet tall. It sets up 5 feet. It's 8 feet wide, it's 8 feet deep, and it's 5 feet high. Solomon stands on that elevated platform and he begins to share this message. As a matter of fact, what he does on that platform is he prays. In verse 13, the Bible tells us, For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long, five cubits broad, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and upon it he stood, and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands toward heaven. What do you think he's doing? He's praying. And then he praises his father. Look at verse 14. And said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like thee in heaven, nor in earth, which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. There is no God like thee. There's no God like thee. Not only is he found praying here on this elevated platform, but he's also praising the father. And we could surmise as we come to the close of verse 14, who showed mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all thine heart. He is praying, he is praising, therefore he is practicing his faith. 
So we find him praying and praising and practicing on an elevated platform before the people of God. Now watch this. He's doing all this before everyone. In 2 Chronicles 5.2, the Bible says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Jerusalem. He had assembled all the leadership, the elders, the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers, every political leader, every, every religious leader. And ultimately, in 2 Chronicles 6, 12, as we read, he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel. There he stood before the people and before the priests and before the politicians. He stood before everybody on this elevated platform and there he prayed, praised, and practiced his faith. Today I am convinced that we must elevate prayer, praise, and practice before our world. I believe we need to elevate prayer, praise, and practice before our children. Before our children. See, the influence that most often reach our children's ears, eyes, and minds in this world are those most often that tear down and destroy the faith. If they're left to go out into the world and to find their own way without any guidance, direction, or leadership from us, they will indeed hear and see and experience things that will destroy and tear down the faith. They're ever taught that, this, that our world is a byproduct of evolution or natural selection. They're told there cannot be a God because it, was just, it just came into existence. It just happened. We have a theory called evolution. Oh, it doesn't mean that it's fact. It's simply theory. But it's taught as fact. And it is truly devastating this, this generation in which we live. It got its foothold into my generation. It sunk its teeth into your generation. And now we see it literally devastating this generation. It's high time that we awake out of sleep and elevate prayer, praise, and the practice of our faith before our children. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the Bible says, And that knowing the time. Do you know the time? And that knowing the time, you know what he's getting at? He's saying, do you realize the decadence of our culture? Do you see the the deceit of our day? Do you recognize the sin of our nation? Do you see that Christ is soon coming? We are in the last days. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He said, it won't be long, you'll have that new body. It won't be long, you'll be taken out of this world. It won't be long, you'll be in the presence of Christ. But don't you realize there's a generation that needs to see you praying and praising and practicing your faith? The ostrich buries his head in the sand. But the believer can't afford to do so, or he'll have his head cut off. And sadly enough, it seems to me that too often Christianity today has buried their head in the sand. And we've tried to be tolerant, we've tried to be accepting of all and a number of different philosophies and ideologies that go contrary to Scripture. And in the end, all that has happened is we've had our head chopped off. 
We need to bow often in the presence of our children. We need to go to the throne of God regularly and faithfully. We must make this matter of prayer important in both our lives and in the eyes of our children. If we ever hope to pass our faith on to them. That's a wake-up call right there. That might be an accidental phone ringing, but I'm going to tell you something. You better understand something. You better answer the phone on this one. You better understand that your children are going to walk right into that world and live in that world and embrace that world and follow after that world if we do not pray, praise, and practice our faith before them. And it needs to be elevated. Old Solomon, he stood up there on that elevated platform before the, the people, above, before everyone. And listen, you better stand and you better elevate prayer. It's not enough just to pray. You better elevate praise. It's not enough just to praise. You better elevate the practice of your faith. It's not enough to just do it here and there. You need to elevate it before your children. And so do I. If we ever hope to pass the faith on to them then we better show them that it's worth elevating. We must praise our God in both the good and the bad if we want to impress them with our faith. A God that's only good in good times and not bad is only half a God. If He's only good in the good times and not the bad, He's only half a God. And He'll only be followed half the time. And you know what? It's been said of Christ, if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. We are obligated and we are responsible to live out our faith. A faith that's not strong enough to daily affect our lives is one that our children will abandon. If it doesn't affect your tongue, and it doesn't affect your talents, and it doesn't affect your time, and it doesn't affect your energies and efforts, it will not ever change their life. It isn't enough. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just to pray. It's not enough just to praise from time to time. It's not enough just to practice the faith when it's convenient. No, you've got to elevate it in the eyes of your children. Not only our children, but we need to elevate prayer, praise, and practice before our churches. In a day when the church is shrinking from its role and responsibility as the pillar and the ground of truth, we need to elevate prayer, praise, and practice all the more. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. By the way, you ought to behave a certain way in the house of God. You ought to behave a certain way in the house of God. You ought to behave. Well, I don't understand all these rules. I don't know why we've got to have these, these certain things in place. I think that's a little bit legalistic. No, you ought to behave in the house of God. And God says, God says right here, he says, he says, listen, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He said, listen, I've written some things. I've shared some things. I've given you some things to help you know how you ought to live, how you ought to act, how you ought to talk, how you ought to behave in the house of God. We are the pillar and the ground of truth this place is. The pillar and the ground of truth. God help us as believers to never abandon biblical prayer, praise, and practice. 
May we uphold it in our preaching, our teaching, and in our every example. May those that enter these buildings be happily greeted with our sweet sound of godly music, the sure hand of joyous fellowship, and the steadfast hope of eternal life. We can't afford to discard prayer, dismiss praise, or depart from our practice. Or we might as well take down the signs and close the doors. And the world about us is looking for true faith. And their lost souls demand powerful prayer if they're ever going to be saved. Their dead and dark souls crave genuine praise. And their chaotic and confused lifestyles long for a faith that promises them a changed life. God help us to elevate prayer, praise, and practice in the house of God. To lift up His voice. Listen, today at this this testimony service, it was a blessing to hear people talk about what God has done in their life. Not what they did, but what God did. And so often we're so quick to be those who have pulled up our own bootstraps, our self-made men and women, and we did this, and we've done that, and we deserve this, and we deserve that. No, my friend, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we got to hear the phone ring one more time and realize that it is God that does this in our heart and our life. And then we need to tell others. Boy, they need to know it's Jesus Christ that we're praying to, praising, and ultimately practicing a lifestyle toward. Not only do we need to elevate this prayer, praise, and practice before our children, our church, but also our country. Our country. The moral and ethical climate of our country continues to decline and spiral ever ever downward. You can't read the newspaper. You can't uh, uh, get online and see a blog. You can't read the Drudge Report. You can't note anything that's going on in the media without recognizing and understanding that we are not evolving upward, we are declining downward. The moral and ethical climate of our country continues to decline. And our politics and our policies will never turn that around. They're not going to make the difference. And they're not going to save our culture. And they're not going to save our society. The only hope that America has is you and I elevating some things. We better start elevating that prayer, that praise, and that practice of the faith that we have before the eyes of the world we live in. Those at work and those in the stores and those in our our community need to see that there's true Christianity being lived out before them. It can't just be a convenient faith. It cannot just be a, a smorgasbord of religion. It has to be something that is a constant course And that we are consistent and faithful in our exercise, in our prayer and praise. I think people ought to come to you for prayer. I think they ought to know that you're a prayer warrior. I think Brother Fred stood up here and said, you know that that I, I I will pray at the drop of a hat. Well, guess what, Brother Fred? You didn't need to say that. I did know that. And you know what? Everybody in the room, I think, that knows anything about you knows that. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that your reputation is that of a man of prayer. Let me tell you, our reputation ought to be men and women of prayer. We ought to elevate it in our life. We ought to elevate it in our daily walk. Our children need to know that we're prayer warriors. Our church family needs to know we're prayer warriors. And our community and those around us need to know we believe in prayer. Because we elevate it. And they ought to know that they're going to hear praise come out of our mouth. 
whether it's our children or our church family or whether it's that, that the, the world around us and our, our country, those people that we live with, they ought to know that they're going to hear something about God every time they get in our presence. Oh, God's so good. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. I get tired of hearing that. Well, I hope you don't get tired of saying it, though. They may get tired of hearing it, but don't get tired of saying it. Because I'll tell you what, Solomon elevated himself that day. And when he elevated himself, he elevated prayer. And he elevated praise. And he elevated the practice of the faith. And he said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the Lord that saved us out of that sinful, wicked lifestyle in Egypt. I'm not ashamed of the God who brought us into the promised land. I'm not ashamed of the God who ultimately gave me a daddy that loved Love Jesus and love God. And now I'm following in His footsteps. And I've built a temple for God. And I love Him. And I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep praising. And I'm going to keep practicing the faith. And I'm going to do it before the whole world. It's not enough to pray, praise, and practice in private. We must elevate it. We must lift it up. In John chapter 12, verse 32, in closing, it says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Let's covenant together tonight to pray, praise, and practice our faith unhesitantly before our children, our churches, and our country. Unhesitantly. Let's covenant together tonight to pray, praise, and practice our faith unashamedly before our children our churches, and our country. Let's covenant together tonight to pray, praise, and practice our faith unapologetically before our children, our churches, and our country. Unhesitantly, unashamedly, and unapologetically elevating, elevating prayer, praise, and practice. God help us. The next generation depends on it. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for this last moments, and we certainly are grateful for the testimony, but Lord, we're even more grateful for the word of God that penetrates our heart and truly convicts us and brings about powerful change in our lives. Nothing can substitute for the preaching of your word, and Lord, we thank you for it. And Lord, tonight may our hearts have been stirred, and Lord, may we Make a decision to elevate some things in our life, not just to do some things, not just privately, but publicly be prayerful, praising and practicing our faith. Unashamedly, unapologetically, unhesitantly. Lord, we'll thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed as the pianist plays. If God has spoken to your heart about something, you come. Maybe at work or at school or Missed your family, your friends. You recognize the needs. Maybe you've been a little bit hesitant. You've been a little private about your faith. Maybe it's time to be a little more public. Not, not, we're not talking about being abrasive. We're not talking about being mean or nasty. We're just talking about being real. And unashamedly, unapologetically, and unhesitantly praying and praising and practicing our faith that the world can see that light. I wonder today, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven?
I mean, you know without a doubt that heaven's your home. If you'd say, well, I can't say that for sure. I really can't 100% say yes. Then why don't you come? Why don't you come? Grab me up here in the front. They'll have somebody show you from the Word of God how you can settle that issue. How you become God's property. How you become God's child. And ultimately have and live in God's heaven.